this point, the children are dismissed to Children's Church, and we are going to turn to Colossians. I'm going to read the book of Colossians, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me. It's always fun to start something new. It's, it's exciting. Colossians is a great new letter about how do, how do you walk closely with Jesus, especially when you're surrounded by neighbors who do not think like you, who do not act like you. Oh, there we go. I'm back on. <laughs> um, yeah, Colossians is all about Jesus, new life. Uh, how do you walk with, with the one who, who saved you? And so we're going to try and introduce the letter, help you get to know the Colossians, and and really, we're talking about Jesus today, so let's read it, and we'll pray. This is God's Word. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. We have heard God speak to us today in his Son. Let's pray. Our Father, we, as we hear the gospel uh, today, we I pray you would help us not to be deaf, to pay attention, to set aside our... Take a moment to, to look at the things that are true the grace of our God. And so don't let us leave here bored or yawning or, or apathetic about these things. Help us to leave here excited, um, filled with the joy that you have chosen to glorify us in Jesus as you have glorified him on the cross. So Holy Spirit, come, change us, uh, teach us what it means to live as saints in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I mentioned earlier that one of the things I like, I really like about our presbytery is because we're small and because we live in a, in a culture where people are just increasingly not, they just don't even know what the Bible says. So Jesus is an idea. They don't know a person. And our presbytery is focusing on planning new churches. And so one of the most recent churches is down in Cobleskill. It's a rural, small-town church plant, uh, Church of the Good Shepherd. It's by uh, one, of our, one of my friends, Sam DeSocio. And Sam moved from Pittsburgh to Cobleskill to move in. Uh, didn't know anyone there. Uh, so he's, he's flying solo, flying blind, so to speak. But he's, he's out and about in the town, just living with their neighbors, trying to make new friends, trying to introduce Jesus to people who have no idea as he told Presbytery one, one, one year, uh, in tears, 
that their creator actually cares about their suffering. Uh, right? So Sam is armed with that good news of what God has done, and that's what he's done the last couple of years, is just befriending people, uh, getting, letting people know their creator cares immensely about their joys and sorrows, and they've actually particularized, well, they haven't particularized, they've started a church, they've started having services, and you have this new family of Jesus followers in Cobble Skill that wasn't there before. And when you think about that, that helps you f- understand a little bit of where, what the church at Colossians is like. Right? It's new. Uh, it, it was started by a guy named Epaphras. He showed up in this smaller city in, in ancient Turkey, and he started a new church. He, he may, met people he didn't know before. He started talking about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, uh, the scriptures, and people said, whoa, I want to follow that Jesus. Right? And, and a new church was born. And this church is, is not very old. I mean, the, the estimates is that this letter was written around in the early 50s. So this is only like 20 years after Jesus died. And you have all these people, uh, a handful of new people who did not know Jesus, trying to figure out this new life that has come to them. As, as Paul said, uh, the gospel came to them. Right, so interestingly, if you want to go on a historical trip and find Colossae, you can't find it. It was leveled in an earthquake about 10 years after this letter was written. And it wasn't significant enough in the grand scheme of things to rebuild. But we do have the remnants uh, here in this letter that say a lot of powerful, life-changing, gospel-proclaiming, true things about Jesus. And so let, let me introduce you to the kinds of people you're going to find in Colossians that, that's going to teach us as well, right? Because you're going to find the part of why Paul's writing the letter is there are uh, Old Testament-loving, Bible-loving Jews who are following Jesus, uh, people who love the covenants, who love keeping Sabbath, who, uh, who have been circumcised and understand why they are circumcised, right? All those words mean a lot to these Jewish followers of Jesus. It's dripping now with new meaning because of Jesus, but there are also non-Jews together in these house churches. There are Gentiles, there are Greeks, there are Scythians, people that when they came to know Jesus, they did not know much about the Bible. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have been familiar with the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, uh, David. I mean, they would have had to be taught. Right? And so now, I mean, you just, Picture this, you have people who are radically culturally different, who are now thrown together, who would otherwise never hang out, and now they are living their lives together, Jew and Gentile. They have to learn how to be friends (laughs) in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. This is what the gospel has done. It brings people from totally different backgrounds and says, you are now family because of your mutual faith in Jesus. There's more. Uh, a guy named Onesimus is here in, in the Colossians. We'll, we'll talk more about slavery and, and things as we go, but, but Onesimus was a slave to, to a Christian a homeowner named Philemon. Right, so Philemon, he was a Christian slave owner, not race-based as we hear that, but we'll, we'll talk about that. But Philemon is a wealthy guy, part of the church, a core part of the church. He's the one who's hosting uh, services in his home. Right. So in this little church, 
as collections of houses in the city of Colossians, or the Colossae, you have slaves and masters <laughs> worshiping Jesus together. Talk about different power dynamics. Right. Their family. Right, that's, that's just one little snapshot of, of when you come to the Colossians and you're listening to the people that Paul is talking to, you have a ragtag bunch of people, people who are different, who have found freedom and joy and new life. Something has happened to them when they all put faith in Jesus. And now you have rich and poor, educated, undeducated. You have Jew and Gentile, barbarian and civilized, so to speak. Right, they're together. And that's part of the reason this letter is written, that how do, you, how do you live out the gospel together? How do you love people you would not ordinarily spend time with? Which describes us, by the way. Right? Everybody in this building, <laughs> I would ordinarily not know you if it was not for Jesus. Not just because of my vocation. <laughs> right? And so, What's happening here is Paul, with Timothy's help, Timothy is helping Paul write this letter. These are new Christians. It's about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Paul is writing to a group of people he's never met. I mean, just let that sink in. He's bold. He's going to tell people he's never met what, how to live their lives and what to believe. I mean, think about how well we receive instruction from people we know. <laughs> right? I mean, be told how, how to do doctrine and what you should do, how you should spend your money, how you should spend your time, right? It's pretty astounding. What Paul's going to tell them, it's going to offend their neighbors. Jesus is Lord over everyone and everything. But this is what happened. This is who loved you in Jesus. And he's also going to tell you uh, how to live in a way that's shocking and attractive to your non-Christian neighbors. Um, put on love, forgive one another, these things bind you together in harmony. And the harmony is, is people who would never hang out. That's what was so attractive about the early church. Is different races, different culture, cultures, they did not spend time together. They lived in different neighborhoods. They never crossed the railroad tracks, so to speak, except for business. Right. So let me put this in perspective for you. Just imagine writing a letter to other Christians, to people you do not know, and tell them to, to change what they do with their bodies to stop sexual immorality in our cultural day and age. <laughs> it's hard enough with people you know. Imagine saying that to someone you don't know. This is chapter 3 of Colossians. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander. Put away sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Don't do that. Paul's never met these people. Let that shock you a bit. Paul is going to claim authority on who Jesus is and how you should follow and respond to the good news of the gospel. And for those of us who have been Christians a long time, we take it for granted, but I want you to hear how the Colossians would have heard it. All they know is Paul is, is friends with Epaphras. Right? So Paul is introducing himself here. I am an apostle. Jesus sent me. And with the authority given to me, I'm going to tell you how to follow Jesus. And so today, all I want to do is just summarize the way Paul summarizes uh, what this letter is about. And it's in his greeting. So we're not going to get past the greeting today, so be patient. Right, what is the core of Paul's message to you and to the Colossians? 
It's, it's right there in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's the core. I've got two points. If you're taking notes and you want to follow along, we're going to talk about the grace to you, and then we're going to talk about the peace. All right, so look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. The, the core of the gospel. Uh, this is going to give you a 20,000-foot view of what God is doing in the world. He's giving grace to people across the world. God, a father, our creator, is at work. This is what he's up to, to give you, to give the Colossians, uh, people across the world in Egypt, as we saw this morning, grace and peace from God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. That's That's what Paul's here to do. He's an apostle sent by Jesus to communicate grace to you. So we can start here. Uh, What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of God? Do you think of a disappointed father? I know that word, God is our father, comes with, with, loaded with our experience. We don't always trust fathers if we've had a bad father. Do you think of God as a disappointed dad? Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but you come every week just disappointed, beating yourself up because you failed again, despairing of your inability to get this thing right. God can't like me, because I don't like me. Do you think of a frightening tyrant? Right? God is king. He's going to walk around with a stick and whack you when you do it wrong. Right? Literally, that's what we had in college. It was called a lust buster. Right? The, the RA would walk around the dorm. It was Christian college is weird. <laughs> it's, it's just a joke, but you just make sure your doors were open and four feet are on the floor and right, control yourself. Do you think of God as, an un- as a frightening tyrant who's going to just blast you when you blow it? Or do you think of God as an unrelatable Lord uh, who, at least at this point, feels far away, unconcerned, not helping? Right. See, what Paul starts the letter with is God our Father. This is his plan. His plan is to be gracious to his people. Grace to you. This is who God is. When God first revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6, I am the Lord who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Grace is not only God's character, but it's what he's... It's, the grace to you flows out of who God is. Do you believe that? <laughs> that that's God's goal for you. He wants you to experience the grace given to you in the gospel, which we'll talk about what that means. Because that's my goal as a past, as for you as a pastor, that's Paul's goal for the Colossians, is that your heart would be gripped, uh, unable to look away from the, the better than con- conditional, <laughs> it's unmerited, it's undeserved, it's pure grace, it's a gift from God that Jesus would love you. It comes from your Father. And it hunts you down. It comes to you from the outside. That's what, that's what Paul says, right, in, in verse 6. The gospel has come to you. It showed up in your life. You weren't looking for it. Right. I want your heart to be gripped by that, that it'll affect the way you see yourself, the way you see your neighbors, the way you see your church, the way you see your suffering, the way you process how you see your own failings. They, it all flows out from this idea that, that in the gospel, God's goal is to give you grace and peace through Jesus Christ. 
that grace controls you. The way it works out in Colossians, let the grace of God change your behavior. Let it control your anger. Let it control the words you use when you talk to people who don't know Jesus. Let your speech be seasoned with salt, he'll go on to say. Put away slander. Put away anger. I mean, all these things are saying be gracious the way God is gracious, the way he has treated you in the gospel. Right? And the reason Paul talks like this is it's not just an intellectual idea for Paul. It's not just a philosophy. It's, it's experiential. This is how Paul has experienced his relationship with God the Father and Jesus the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Paul is controlled by grace because he had his life uh, taken over by the grace of God. Right? So why should you listen to Paul? Because he's experienced these things. He's a pastor who needed grace before he would ever tell you to believe in Jesus. He needed forgiveness. He needed mercy. But you need need to know this, because when you talk about Paul outside the church, Paul gets no respect. He's one of the top ten most influential people in the world. Outside of Jesus, I mean, Paul's letters have influenced the church more than, at least the Western church, more than I can quantify. And yet, he gets called a bigot. Uh, he, gets called, he gets accused of hating women. Uh, he gets accused of being soft on slavery or being a homophobe, of, of not liking people. And I want to try and put to death that slander for you. <laughs> Get to know the person, the pastor. Because right? Paul, when he says grace to you and I am an apostle by the will of God, he, he is reminding himself that he did not sign up for this job. It was given to him by Jesus. Right. This is grace to you. The, an apostle is a very specific role in redemptive history. It's, it's someone that saw Jesus or that Jesus revealed himself to after the resurrection. And he's unique because Jesus had already ascended. So he had this, this shocking, life-altering experience with the grace of God. You remember his story? Right. Paul, the pastor now, writing this letter, he was a religious terrorist. I mean, there's, no, there's no kind way to sugarcoat this. Right. Religion has a lot of power. It'll make you bitter. It can make you bitter, critical, and judgmental, and hate everyone who doesn't think like you. Uh, or it can make you kind, <laughs> depending on what your fundamental is in the religion. Well, Paul, when his, his original name was Saul... As a Jew who loved the scriptures, who loved the one God of the Old Testament, he had a, this immense hatred in his heart for Jesus' followers to the point where he was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus armed with permission to either kill or imprison other Christians, followers of the way, followers of Jesus. Right? Paul, then Saul, despised people who were different than him. Right? That, that, that's his testimony. That's the way he tells his own story in Acts chapter 9. And then all of a sudden, Jesus showed up, knocked him down, literally, bright light shining like the sun, and he hears a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he, he gets led to a city, and Jesus starts praying, and Jesus changes his heart. And with that, see, 
Paul's story, the apostle, is that without asking for it, Jesus showed up and recruited him to be an apostle of grace to the nations. Jesus forgave him while he was actively hating him. That's an astounding story. See, Paul, the pastor, who's going to tell you how to live is also the, the, the apostle who's going to say elsewhere in Timothy, I am in present tense. I am. This is the end of his life. I am the, the chief of sinners. I am the worst human being. Like when I think of other people, I'm the worst. Right? Religion will make you say, when I think of the worst people, I think of other people. The gospel will turn it around. <laughs> right? But... But there's a but. Grace came to Paul. Jesus loved me. He suffered for me. He died for me. I am loved by my God. And I know that because Jesus died on the cross and came to me. All right, so Paul is a living example of the grace he is wishing for the Colossians. That he is greeting you and I with. Grace to you. That's God's will. He wants, God is wanting to be gracious to you. Receive what your father is giving you through faith in Jesus. Grace, forgiveness. Right? That's God's will for you if you don't know Jesus. God wants to give you grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about what is that grace? Well, there's a couple ways to talk about it. You've got to jump down into the prayer a little bit in, in verses 5 and 6. It talks about the word of truth. There's a specific words that come to it. It's a message that's true. And then in verse that's verse 5, verse 6, it says it's the grace of God in truth, and it's all about Jesus. So if you want to know what Paul is talking about, it's, it's a joyful message that God is willing, wanting to forgive you through faith in Jesus, to be gracious to you, to come to you, and it's true and it's real. This is a real story. Right, it's a person. Grace to you... <laughs> In the gospel is Jesus coming to you. He was gracious. It's a great cost. The one who was crucified for you. The one who loved, him so, who loved you so much he gave himself up for you. That's grace. It's all about Jesus. So as we get ready to look at this letter, Paul is going to help you and me help you sharpen your understanding of God's grace or bring it back into remembrance or just help you figure out what do you do with this mind-blowing relationship that God is willing to, to treat you as you don't deserve, to treat you better than you deserve, to be gracious. Because I know, as you're going to see, that Paul's going to say, as you first receive the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ, therefore walk that way. And let that change your behavior. Meaning, to the extent that you really believe God has been gracious to you in Jesus, you will live differently because you'll want to live like him. You're going to want to put on love. Uh, you're going to put on compassion. You're going to want to put on kindness. Uh, to put on the new man to be like Jesus. It's chapter 3. You'll bear fruit simply because you love grace. Costly grace. I'll blow away here. <laughs> right, so that, that's, my, that's the first pastoral challenge. Is the, the, it's a greeting, grace to you and peace, but it's, it's really a declaration of what God has done for you in Jesus. 
calling you and inviting you to grow in your understanding of God's grace to you. Because right? that's what makes Christianity so explosive and unique. It's, it's backwards. It's not how we think as people. Right? So Bethany and I just watched this film called uh, The Aeronauts. I'll try and tell the story without spoiling it for you. But in the 1860s, uh, there was a guy named Dr. James Gleisher in London whose desire was to be a meteorologist back when people didn't know what meteorologists were. He wanted to study the weather, and the only way he could study the weather, which was to be somewhat crazy and just go up in a, in a hot air balloon that you didn't know if it was going to hold you 30,000 feet in the air. Right? So it's one of those hand-sweating experiences watching this film. But in all these kind of stories, right, it's this man who has grand plans to change the world. Uh, to, in, the, in the story, that at least in, it's somewhat based on a true story, what he's driven by, what, what gets him to say, I want to do great things, is he wants to be respected. He wants to be honored. He wants to be applauded. He wants the attention. The attention of the other scientists, the other, his peers in his, in his workplace. Because they all think he's nuts. He wants his dad's approval. Right, that's part of the story. He wants his dad to be proud of him. Right? And in our world, broken fathers often don't express their pride until something great is done. Right? The father doesn't weep tears of joy until after you've changed the world, until after you've done something good. You get praise for doing good. And the gospel of grace is backwards. It's the complete opposite, the word of truth. That while we were hostile towards God, like Paul, while we were hurting others, like Paul, grace comes to you and gives you praise through your faith before you, right? It praises you for something you never did. It's astounding. While you couldn't get anything right, Christ died for you. That's grace. And then you get justified. You get accepted by God through this faith. And God the Father is then proud of you as your life is hidden behind Jesus, the perfect Son. As Paul's going to say in Colossians, to make you holy and blameless, unable to accuse anymore. God looks at you in Christ and cannot find anything to accuse you of as someone who's been justified. It doesn't mean you don't need to change. But he's not going to blast you with judgment. He's proud of you in Christ. You get the applause before you ever do anything right. Is there any other place in your life where you will find that? Even the best dad still gets really annoyed when their kid doesn't get it right. You don't say, I'm proud of you when you're blowing it. You say, knock it off. See, grace changes the way God relates to you. Your father's desire is to be gracious to you in Jesus. Do you believe that? That God looks at you through these Jesus lenses. You don't bear fruit. You don't have to change in order to get God to be proud of you. You bear fruit because God has come to you in Jesus. That's grace. And grace, as Paul's going to go on to say in this letter, it's a bloody cross. It's a crucified king. It's the death of your cosmic creator who's making peace through, through all things by his own death for you. Right? If you don't think he's gracious yet, look at what he calls the, these new Christians. Right? They're saints. 
you're going to follow Jesus, this is your identity, and you need to learn to say that to yourself, especially in those moments when you've blown it and you still desire to follow Jesus, right? You are a saint. And even the fact that I have to explain this, that saints aren't people who've done great things, saints are your identity in Christ. It's a noun. It's who you are. Look at how gracious this is. You are a saint because of who you belong to, not because of what you have done. Right? My kids, they are Thompsons. They were born as Thompsons, not by anything they have done. They will act like me at some point because they can't help it. They're around me all the time, right? for better or for worse. But nothing they do in their life will ever stop them from being Thompsons because of who they belong to, because of the relational connection. Right? They're mine and Bethany's forever. That's the idea behind being a saint. If you're a Christian, you are a saint, you are a holy one, through faith in Jesus, not because of anything that you have done first, it's because you, are, you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, do you see that? <laughs> to the saints. They haven't got it right. If they got it right, Paul wouldn't tell them to st- knock off the sexual immorality, to stop being angry, to stop using bad words, uh, to stop being crude, to, to, to think about Jesus. If they didn't need to change, Paul wouldn't have to write those things. And yet, he calls them saints. Because you're associated with Jesus, the Holy One. He he declares you holy and blameless. It's relational. So if if you come, you come to the foot of the cross and say, God, I need this kind of grace. Before you ever rise up, and do anything amazing, you walk away from that conversation, that first conversation with Jesus, a saint. Before you've ever done a missionary thing, before you've ever tithed before anything, that, that's what happens. This thing invades your life. You're a new Christian, you're a saint. If you're an old Christian, you're still a saint. <laughs> that that's, follows you all the days of your life. And if you want to know how amazing that is, just think about Isaiah 6. Right? Isaiah 6, is, you can turn there in your Bibles, it's a place where Isaiah, the prophet, the really good guy, right? he goes to church, he goes to the temple, and much to his surprise, God actually was there. And it freaked him out, because right? he saw God sitting on the throne, and the angels are around him, and they're saying, holy, 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 there is no one like you, God, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah, who said a lot of good things and done a lot of good things as a moral religious guy, just falls apart and says, I've never said anything good. I'm a man of unclean lips. And everyone else around me doesn't know how to use their words. They're they're unclean as well. He falls apart like he's dead. It's unbelievable. He said, I'm filthy when I come into the presence of God. I don't feel like there's, I don't feel like God would want to have anything to do with me. I know he shouldn't. And yet, what, what happens? The one on the throne tells the angel, take, take the coal from the altar that's dripping with the blood of the lamb, touch his lips, and says, behold, your sin is atoned for. Right? And if you really want to let that blow your mind, Jesus says in John chapter 12, Isaiah saw me. That, that's how I treat sinners. That's how I treat people who are unclean. That's how I treat moral failures. That's how I treat people who think they're good. 
<laughs> they need to be convinced they need saved. So when you are called a saint, a holy one, you are associated with the one who is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ himself. And there is only one place in the Bible where a characteristic of God is repeated three times. It's God's holiness. Hebrew, the way it works, if you want to say someone is really scared, you just say they're afraid or afraid. <laughs> fearful, fearful. It doesn't sound right in English, but it just means mega afraid, falling apart. So when it says holy, 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 it's trying to say to the limits of that language, you can't get any holier. <laughs> and yet that is how God sees you now in Christ Jesus as a holy one connected to him. You are not the holy, holy, holy one, but you, he treats you like you are holy, a saint. It's unbelievable. Right? It's, it's good news. So every church, this is who we are, and I'm going to bring this to a close here. When Paul says grace to you, this is, this is a loaded statement. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. Every church is filled with present tense sinners, people who aren't very good at being human, needing to learn. But those same people, you, me, by grace through faith in Jesus are called saints. Right. It's a new identity. Last point, and this is our conclusion here. He also says peace. Peace from God. All right, grace is good news, and so is this peace. And uh, if I could summarize this briefly, a lot, most of the commentators, when they read and talk about Paul saying peace, he has more than just absence of hostility in mind. That's huge. He's going to talk about that, the peace that God gives. But he, he probably has the Hebrew word shalom, just fully loaded. And shalom is not just we're no longer fighting peace. Shalom is everything is starting to be, well, it's, it's, everything is as it should be. It's right relationship between God and man. It's right relationship with people. They're playing nice together. It's right relationship with people and creation. It's, it's human beings and animals and, and the birds and God and man dwelling together on earth. That, that's shalom. It's, it's what Genesis 1 and 2 show you. It's peace. It's an Eden-like paradise. Uh, it's no death, not being afraid of death. Uh, peace of your fears are being met because God is with you. You're not anxious. It's human beings loving one another, right? So in, in Colossians, it's going to be husbands loving their wives without being harsh. Uh, that's one of the ways the peace is going to manifest itself. Without making unrealistic demands and beating someone up for not meeting your expe expectations. It's wives joyfully submitting to their husbands because they know their husbands love them. Because that's fitting in the Lord. That's, that's part of what Paul's going get to get to. It's children not being cr driven crazy by their parents' unrealistic expectations. Sh peace with one another. Right. And even more importantly, it's humans and God at peace with each other. Knowing you're forgiven. I mean, you're gonna be we are reconciled through Jesus. God's not mad at you. He can't be because Jesus took that punishment for you. Right. You have an unparalleled peace as a Christian. And in, in the Colossians, the way they would have heard this, right, in the, in the ancient world, Rome 
was the cause of the peace. Right? You could see the Roman word pax, peace, everywhere you looked. It was on the walls. Uh, it was on the temples. It was on the city gates. If you, if you could read, it, it was on the documents, if you had books. It was always reminding them that if Rome wasn't there, the world would be chaos and your life would stink. It's propaganda. Right? And so like one historian wrote, it, wrote this. On the coins, it said peace on it. You'd have the goddess of peace on one side and weapons on the other. Right? It's peace by the blood of the sword. And the Christian story is different, is it not? It's peace from God to you, not through the blood of the sword pointed at your throat, but through the, the sword that fell on Jesus, the sword of judgment that we deserve. And then teaches us to fall on the sword ourselves for the sake of other people. Right? Paul goes on to say, for Je in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So if you're a Christian, you are at peace with God. Whereas once before you did not trust him, you did not want to do what he wanted, you wondered if he was for you, the cross is trying to tell you and is loudly screaming in your face, <laughs> uh, into your deaf ears, wake up, God is at peace with you. So why do you wake up every morning defeated. Believe the grace, believe the peace that God is with you. See, that's what Paul's after. As we, we're going to, I talked in generalities on purpose, the whole letter is going to get very specific, and I want to be patient as we go through these things that you can, you can sharpen your own understanding of grace and peace and what that means for, for your own faith and doctrine, but also on how to how we live together as a church community following Jesus. Right? Paul says this is good news. You are a saint. You are part of the family of God, the faithful brothers in Christ here at Hope Church. The faithful brothers is also brothers and sisters. Paul's not anti-women. That's just the way they spoke. Um, women are saints too. <laughs> um, the faithful, we think of reliable, but really to all those who have professed faith. Those full of faith, following Jesus, grace to you and peace. Read Colossians in the next week and go and learn what that means as you come trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that we, as we heard how gracious you are, uh, that we would not leave unaffected. Um, that we, when we wake up tomorrow, we can say those words with knowing that they are certain and for our assurance that you have been gracious to us and we are at peace with you. And so I pray for us as a church, Lord, that uh, as we become gripped by the grace of the gospel, it would inform our words, it would inform our actions, and that we would be a people that are attractive to our neighbors and you would grow the church, that the gospel would bear fruits in our lives and in our neighbors across the street and around the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.